If you're a mom who's locked yourself in the bathroom for five minutes of peace, this is your podcast. I'm Jody Schilling, your host. Welcome to the Good Mom Podcast. Here, we will talk about how to stop people pleasing, how to stop doing too much for everyone else, and we'll define what a real good mom really is. I can tell you, as a mom of four, I have been through it all, and I beat myself up for years believing I was not enough. I finally cracked the code on how to be my real self. I learned how to stop apologizing, and it changed everything. You can start now to be the real you, the mom you were always meant to be. Let's do it. Hi, moms. This is episode 30, and we are talking about neurodiversity. I am really excited to talk about this topic. So we're going to define it today. We're going to talk about the benefits of it, and we're going to talk about if you think there's a downside, because I don't think there is, but we'll talk about it. Thank you for joining me. Okay, neurodiversity. This one is a term that recently I have been using quite often when I describe my family and when people ask me, what are you as a life coach? You know, what do you focus on? And I focus, as I've shared before, I focus on helping moms to be the moms they want to be, but I do that in the context of moms who have neurodiversity in their families. And that's really everybody (laughs) because neurodiversity by definition is brain differences that are considered to be normal and not deficits. So If you take autism, for example, and you think that there needs to be a cure for autism, then you are thinking of autism as a disorder or something that is wrong, I'm using air quotes right now, with the brain, right? And you could say the same for ADHD or bipolar or schizophrenia for that matter. What we're saying is that with neurodiversity, any brain difference is considered neurodiverse, okay? And so this is where what's fascinating about the concept to me as a former educator also is that I always felt like as a teacher, I had this classroom of kids and I would notice these interesting patterns, right? So I would have some kids who could not sit still and I would have kids who would be totally focused and it would be difficult for them to break away from working so hard because they were so focused. They didn't even want to get up and go to recess. And then I would have these other patterns that were so fascinating. So the kids who often behaviorally would struggle and, you know, would struggle emotionally. When it was time for an art lesson, those kids would outperform, quote unquote, you know, kids that were more neurotypical or had less, showed less behavior problems. And they would have the this ability to have creative problem solving and 
in other ways. There were different patterns that would that would emerge. And then there would be so many times where there would be these huge surprises that there would seem to be no pattern to whether kids, you know, no correlation to whether kids behaved well or were more or less focused. And there, there just would be, you know, no predictability there at all. There would just be these really surprising differences that were just so amazing and so interesting and fascinating to watch and see with kids. So what I love about this is I just think of neurodiversity is embracing neurological differences, right? Just thinking of the brain being such a wondrous organ. I mean, I have always been fascinated by the brain. And I think that probably because I wanted to be a teacher that has something to do with it. But I also just have always felt like there's something about a person who has a struggle in one area of learning or social skills or behavior or communication that the brain seems to even out or make up the difference in these other aspects of the brain and ability. And some of it is stereotypical. So I don't want to feed into stereotypes, but all seen this this phenomena where you have, you know, someone who really struggles emotionally and they just are so brilliant and talented in other areas too. So I like to think of this idea of neurodiversity as a way for us to approach inclusion and not being focused on the deficit, right? Not having this deficit mindset or this take your kids even to the doctor and then you have this comparison of where they are in relation to peers. I just, I don't really find that to be helpful or necessary. And I'll talk a little more about this some more when we talk about how kids qualify for support, because I think that that's an important consideration for this. But as far as, you know, thinking of it in terms of inclusion, I find it in my own experience that one of the most painful things as a mom and as a teacher, when you are witnessing kids who have brain differences, the one of the most painful things is seeing them be rejected by either peers or by adults, which unfortunately happens more than you would imagine. And it's just so unfortunate because I think it comes from a lack of understanding about brain differences, first of all. And I think it just comes from fear. Like so many of the negative kinds of behaviors we see from humans (laughs) just really often stem from fear, right? They're fear-based. And and so what I love about the concept of neurodiversity is that if everybody is included as being neurodiverse, because neurodiverse just means that there are brain differences and we all have our own brain 
So my brain is different than someone else's and, you know, anybody else, whether they have any type of medical condition with their brain, that's, you know, making their brain neurodiverse. I think I would argue that while I haven't been diagnosed with anything that's a brain condition with my brain, I certainly know (laughs) that my brain definitely has its own ways of learning and its own, I have my own emotional capacity and diversity in sensitivity to emotion, for example. And I've always felt like in many ways I was different than a lot of other people, that I was more sensitive emotionally or that I experienced emotion in a more intense way or with my learning that my particular way of thinking of myself as not really a visual learner and not really a hands-on learner, but not really an auditory learner either. Like I could never figure that out when they would talk about what type of learner you are. And so if we are all neurodiverse in our learning, then we're all quote unquote normal by definition, right? I mean, and it's just, you know, what is the value of being normal? I think it's more about the the negative implications of being abnormal, right? So I think it's another one of those things where normal or abnormal are not necessarily helpful. But what I will say is regarding the fact that, especially when we think about public education or we think about things like universal design where we can have access for all abilities. I really think that the way the law is written, it's based on disability. So there is a measurement that there's a decision that's made based on this measurement of ability and whether or not there's some, you know, whether or not they, the person qualifies and then qualifies for sp- support and that can come in so many different forms, right? And so as an educator, I know that for me, I always felt like I wanted to get the most support that a student could qualify for in order for them to help them to be successful. But I think when we have this new way of defining brain differences, then it's so much more inclusive and so much more universal to think that all kids deserve and should have access to the same kinds of support because all brains are different, right? So let's just talk about math and we can say in third grade, if kids are introduced to the concept of fractions and some kids learn differently in terms of the way that they understand conceptually how fractions work, then if we approach education from the idea that we have a class of 25 kids and they have all these different ways of learning and our job is to teach in a way that they can learn and that is for all kids, right? So we're not saying, oh, these kids will not need extra support and these kids over here will need extra support. No, let's say that all kids 
are going to get to learn how to do fractions and understand conceptually what fractions are in a way that makes sense to them, in the way that their brain learns. And I just think that that could be so amazing if we had an inclusive approach to the way that we educate and we had also an inclusive approach to not just learning intellectual cognitive concepts, but also socially, you know, the differences that that come up the way that people communicate or the way that they interact socially, we can have an inclusive approach to that as well. I just think it could make a huge difference in the way that we interact on so many levels, not even just in education, but in our like global relationships with cultures. And I think we could have a completely different world with the concept of neurodiversity and inclusion. And so that's why I get a little, get a little passionate about this topic. And the last thing I want to share about it is that my experience personally, I just like to share that I, as a classroom teacher, noticed that kids who I had where I would hear from teachers that had that student before me or from parent-teacher conferences, I would hear from other adults that the child, that I needed to be prepared or expect that the child was going to struggle and that they had these, you know, for lack of a better word, deficits. And I always, it always bothered me. And I always wanted to approach any new child that I had in my class from a strength place, you know, to find their their unique gifts and their talents and what they love to do. And, and I just didn't ever want to focus on what their struggles were. I wanted to always build on their strengths. And I just want to share that I think that kids take their cues from adults and but I think that they also, when given their own devices, left to their own devices, they will be inclusive and they will be empathetic and they will be helpful, but not in a way that is that shows pity or that feels sorry. They're amazing. I taught kindergarten and first grade and second grade mostly. And my experience when I had or we built a classroom community of inclusion, my experience was that kids just would naturally see the strength of other kids and kids did not see high performance and low performance or they didn't see anything but admiration. If another child had a struggle or had a, you know, unique ability, they would be proud of the child who was trying hard and they would be impressed by someone who was doing well, but not in a way where they felt less than themselves, but just more that they had a fascination for the diversity. When we have a community and we teach kids about that and we value diversity and we show interest and fascination and curiosity, then kids pick up on that. But I think they naturally do it anyway. So I think we can all benefit from thinking about neurodiversity and inclusion 
from the lens of this might be a better way for us to think about kids and brains and behaviors and really education and our whole interaction as as a human species. I think it's something for consideration. So if you were wondering about neurodiversity, I hope this gave you everything you want to know. <laughs> but if you still have more questions or you want to t- take this off the podcast and have a conversation or if you want me to go into more detail, please reach out to me. You can reach me on at Good Mom Coach on Instagram or Facebook. And you can also email me at Jody at goodmomcoach.com. And I would love to talk more about neurodiversity with you. Have a wonderful week and I will see you next week. If you like this podcast, please rate and review so we can spread the word to other moms who are going through the same thing. You can also find me over on Instagram. You'll find links to my website there, information about my coaching program, and free resources. Thank you again for joining me. Have a great week and please rate and review.